voting. All right, now we're going to get into the word. I am looking forward to this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by thy spirit, Lord, I pray that you would help us to glean, to understand, ascertain, embrace, and rejoice in all that you have done for us and you continue to do. I pray in Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, tonight... And next Sunday night, I'm going to be preaching chapter 13 out of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be wrapping up. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up the uh, going through that on Sunday night. But a couple of things. First of all, Brother Kelly took us through for two Sundays uh, preaching on giving. Did a great job. So, as I was going through 2 Corinthians on Sunday night, I skipped chapters 8 and 9. I didn't want to touch that. He's going to be taking care of that. Uh, and I heard what he said, etc. Then, coming back on this, I thought, you know, there is a place that I'd like to go that he did not go. I'd like to emphasize like to encourage us. Chapter 9, the core passage is going to be this. Look at verse 19, excuse me, verse 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I entitled the message this morning, The Gift Beyond description, you might find that it covers more than what maybe right now you're thinking about. Now remember, when we were in chapter 12, those of you that were here or you listened to the message later, chapter 12 out of uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about a situation that he was able to go through. How he was caught up into heaven and he heard things that you just can't speak about. It was incredible. It was stunning. It was unbelievable. It was so joyful. And he did not talk about it for 14 years. He said it was 14 years before he was writing that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he told about it, he gave testimony of it, and it was absolutely fantastic, and for the benefit, excuse me, for, yeah, yeah, the benefit, we'll call it that, of seeing that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now, we already went through several things when it comes to that. If you haven't heard that message, please go back to it. When we think of a thorn, we think of my, maybe of something that is on a, on a rose bush. We used to have rose bushes when I was growing up, and I remember those thorns, and yeah, they catch you. This, more, this has more of an idea of a stake. 
that will absolutely do major damage to the flesh. And so he went to the Lord three times, says, Lord, would, would you please take this away? And as we saw, reminding you, if you heard the message, he wanted a substitution. What God did in him instead is a transformation. Because then he was saying, you know something? He told me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Whose weakness? Your weakness. So he said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that's what he had to say in chapter 12. Chapter 13, as we're going to be seeing tonight, he switches gears, charging or challenging the people in Corinth to be prepared and also be examining, examining themselves. But going back to chapter 9, we're on the tail end of what Paul was talking about when it comes to giving. And it's not just financial giving. It's more than that. So here it is. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Barnes, in speaking of the unspeakable gift says this. The word here used means, used means which cannot be related, unutterable. It occurs nowhere else, this this word, excuse me, in the New Testament. The idea is that no words can properly express the greatness of the gift thus bestowed on man. It, it It just can't be done. Now, the Apostle Paul is used to speaking about the Lord like this. He said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. In other words, we have an incredible God. He can do far more, and he does do, as we'll see. Robertson, A.T. Robertson said of this, words fail Paul. It's as if Paul is seeking to write of what God does and he thinks of one word and then another and then another and he can't do it. And so he uses a word that he never used and it just means Undescribable, unspeakable, above all that we ask or think. It is absolutely, I like using the phrase, it's off the charts. But listen to me, please. That is your God as well. Can I get an amen on that? That's our God. That is our God. It even goes more than that. And I want you to listen to this. Go back to chapter 9, and I want you to go back down to verse 6. Now, again, it has to do somewhat with giving. Yes, it does. But it goes beyond just giving. Now, listen carefully, please. You need to listen carefully. 
Verse 6, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now that's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Let's keep going. Verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. All right? We still on board? Good. Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. He starts to spread it out a little bit. He's opening up to the fact that we're looking at blessing that is fantastic. Every good work, the more you go, the more you do. What a joy. Now, listen to the next several verses. Go back to verse 9. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. I would encourage you to go into a commentary or into a word study or both and catch these things. It's a blessing. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. I'm going to give you an illustration in just a moment what he's saying here, but let's continue. Verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by making thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this, of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. And then he says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What does he mean? I'm going to show you. Brother Coulter, could you come? You stand here. Brother Granby, could you come over here, please? Now, first of all, I want before I get involved with these guys, you're going to see something that I hope and pray you recognize. This is what Paul is saying. This, this is... The unspeakable gift. Just before we had our last song, 
Just before I got up to preach in the pulpit, Brother Reyes was here. Now, what did Brother Reyes do? He read you a letter by one of our missionaries, right? And then what did we do? We what? Now, this is the challenge. Sometimes we do that, and it's like, okay, we prayed for him. Watch this. Here are the Jews in Jerusalem. Here are the Christians in Corinth. These are Jews. These are Gentiles. But through Paul, the Gentiles in Corinth heard of the great need of the Jews in Jerusalem. So you know what the Gentiles in Corinth did? They prayed to God, and the Lord laid on their heart, you need to give. So they gave to their brethren in Christ, the Jews in Jerusalem. The Jewish believers rejoiced and in return prayed and asked God to bless their brethren in Corinth. And he did. You know what the unspeakable gift is? And I want you please to understand this. Do you believe God's word? All right, now, listen, 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 listen. Our flesh would like to get carried away with, you know, financial blessing, that, you know, money. No, 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 no. <laughs> There's so much more. God is able to supply all our need, whatever that need is. All right. So here's people that usually hate Jews. They now love their brethren in Christ. God lays on their heart, you need to give. They give. God lays on their heart, listen, look what they did for you. You're right. Boy, praise God for these people. So they prayed for them. They received a blessing, and because they prayed for them and gave to them, they prayed and they received a blessing. That's what happens in Christ. Thanks, guys. You can sit down. Now, now, now listen to me. Listen to me. We did something very simple. Brother Reyes comes up, and he's praying for a missionary and for the people that they're reaching. God sees that. God hears that. Does God answer prayer? But you know something? Listen, he does more than what maybe we're thinking he's going to do. You think he's going to bless Faith Baptist for praying for the brethren in that nation? This is what he did. This is the testimony of what took place here. Let me break it down very simply. First of all, Christ 
is the unspeakable gift. He's the core of it. Without Christ, there's going to be none of this blessing. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the one who came, paid the penalty for our sin, died on the cross, rose again, and guess what? Now he reigns above and he hears us. He hears our prayers. Paul recognizes what's going on. And ever a lover of the Lord says, boy, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. What a joy to see this. Again, Christ is the core, but there was a superabounding grace that flowed from the Father to both parties because of that which took place in Christ. Every time you pray, we just prayed for the two-minute warning. Once again, that means that God will respond in blessing as he has done for the previous nine years. He responds in blessing and challenging and drawing those men that come. Praise God. By the way, if you've got a neighbor, invite them. Right now I'm working on six men now in my neighborhood. I I don't know how many I'm going to get. I hope and pray that I get just one, but it'd be great to have six. But look, we're praying, Lord, speak to these in song, in in the messages. By the way, Lord, bless, we pray, the preachers that are coming. Lord, give people victory over sin, et cetera, et cetera. We're praying, Lord, bless them. But at the same time, at the same time, those people are thanking God that Faith Baptist Tabernacle puts this on and God blesses FBT. I don't see it, then you ain't looking. This is biblical Christianity, folks. Christ is the core of this. He is the unspeakable gift. But in order order to explain the, the ramifications of that, you've got to see beyond what is taking place. The work itself is unspeakable. The fact that we are engaged with the throne of God. Are we here? That we are engaged with the throne of God and because of that, the blessings flow. Now catch that. Don't let that slip. Paul told the church at Corinth, In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Folks, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know what these people did in Corinth? They gave faith promise. They already give to their local fellowship, but then they heard 
about their brethren in Jerusalem and the difficulty that they were having. Hey, folks, we've got to help these people out. And so they gave over and above. And God blessed it. This is the joy of being in Christ. He he takes note of that which we do. Our love, our labor, that's our Lord. You know, you go back. I'm going to be going to the book of John here in just a moment. But if, if you go back, this really, you, you recognize this is what our God does. He has from the beginning, from the time that he stepped foot on this earth in ministry, the Lord has made sure that we understand this, that with him comes blessing that we did not recognize would be coming. The world didn't see it, but for those that believed him, they thought, yes, I understand now. For instance, and let me just go through these things just quickly. In John chapter 6, the Lord speaking to the people that are there to listen to him, I am the bread of life. All right, there's a statement. That's the person of Christ. I am the bread of life. But then he gives the promise. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Wow. We've never heard anything like this before, and they haven't. Let's go on to John 8. Here's the person. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, that's interesting. But wait a minute. Here's the promise. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. You see, from the very beginning, There's blessing after blessing after blessing because of he who is the gift that is unspeakable. All through his life, he brought promise because of his person. And even after he ascended back up into heaven, the working of his gospel brings blessing because it was promised. John 10, then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. Here's the promise. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. John 10 again, I am the good shepherd. Here's the promise. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Are you hearing that? That's your God. That's your Lord. That's your Savior. John 11, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. His promise, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's your God. 
That's your Lord. John 14, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the promise. No man cometh unto me, cometh unto the Father, but by me. I am the only way. By the way, he is the only way. John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. I am the vine, you're the branches. Here's the promise. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You know, sometimes we wind up getting so, so involved, or not, excuse me, not the word, not, not involved, but we wind up getting so into the culture of the church, we really forget what the Christ of the church has meant for us. And the promise that comes because of him and the joy in what we receive. Folks, this nation was blessed because for so many, they put Christ first. The blessing is going away because self is first instead. We need to keep on that track where it's no king but Jesus, including in my life. Amen? Stop and consider this. Because of that unspeakable gift, think about this. Because of that unspeakable gift, the poorest slave, the poorest slave in all the world can be eternally richer than any CEO, uh, CEO giant. Ephesians 3.8, Unto me who am the least, less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 2 Corinthians 6.10, As poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Because of that unspeakable gift, the simplest individual, the simplest individual can live in absolute confidence while the world's kingdom builders tremble in uncertainty. Matthew 7. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded on a rock. That's our God. That's our unspeakable gift. Because of that gift, literally millions and millions look with joy at what the physical eye cannot see. Hebrews 2.9 but we see Jesus, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Because of that unspeakable gift, 
Faith has overcome fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Isaiah 41.10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Because of that gift, Christ has overcome our burdens. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are never alone, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We are satisfied. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Because of that unspeakable gift, we have purpose. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. We overcome in all these things. We are, listen, more than conquerors through him that loved us. Because of that, we are secure. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter up of mine head. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Because of that unspeakable gift, we are loved. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the substitute for your sins and mine. Because of that unspeakable gift, we have hope for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have God's, listen to me, we have God's singular attention. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Even when all you do is pray for a missionary. Because of that singular, fantastic, unspeakable gift, we have family never imagined. Listen. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. You know, it might not be for you, but do you realize how many people who have come into Christ, they are closer to those that they're tied to by the blood of Christ than they are physical blood. There are people that find more a home here than they do between their own four walls. That is something we need to remember. That came from the unspeakable gift. There's a story that I read years ago. You don't mind, I'm going to take the time to read it. Every time I go through it, the tears start to come. This is a true story. And it absolutely nails the truth of this unspeakable gift. Two people could not have been more unlike these two men. Their names are Bob McAllister and Rusty Woomer. 
Rusty was born in 1954 in a little town in the hills of West Virginia. The oldest of five children, he spent a lot of time outdoors. He loved the mountains and woods. Photographs show Rusty as a little boy whose hair was so blonde it was almost white, his eyes blue. Rusty felt free in the woods, for at home his life was filled with fear, abuse, and poverty. His father was an alcoholic who took his anger and frustration out in drunken rages. Rusty would run to the woods when his father would take to the bottle, and when he found Rusty, he would beat him and pull him back to the cabin. There were, however, pleasures for Rusty. Fishing with his mother was what he loved more than anything. He knew she loved him, and together they loved the mountain streams. Another pleasure was attending a tiny country church a few miles from his house. Rusty would tell in later years how he loved the sound of the preacher's voice because he spoke very softly, and in everything he said and did, he conveyed a kindness that Rusty never knew from his father. Bob McAllister's early life was very different than Rusty's. Bob was born in 1949. He was the only child of middle-class parents who lived in a small, comfortable house. Bob's life was ordered by a routine of Little League and Sunday school and Saturday outings to his grandparents, where three generations would have a picnic and swim and fish in a pond. Rusty's life grew worse. His father's alcoholism took a more violent turn. Rusty began sleeping under bridges and in gas station restrooms to avoid going home. Drugs also provided an escape. By the ninth grade, Rusty quit school and was shooting liquid amphetamines into his veins. By 16, he had been arrested and was sent to live in a state boys' camp. By age 19, he was in a state prison for stealing 14 cases of beer. On the other hand, Bob McAllister at 16 was a disc jockey at a radio station in Greenville, South Carolina. By age 18, he became a DJ at WQOK and was heard by every teenager in the region. By Bob's senior year in college, Senator Strom Thurmond offered him a job as a speechwriter and as assistant press secretary. In the spring of 1972, 23-year-old Bob McAllister arrived in Washington. For the next several years, he made the rounds with the senator, to the White House, to the floor of the Senate, to diplomatic receptions. By the end of the 70s, Bob returned to South Carolina and began building what became a successful career in broadcasting. He met every goal he set for himself. There were White House briefings and frequent invitations to the governor's mansion. While Bob McAllister was flying high, Rusty Woomer was spinning deeper into despair. After three years in prison, Rusty spent his newfound freedom in a cycle of drugs, alcohol, and stealing to get money for more drugs and alcohol. By age 25, he was back in prison for having raped a 15-year-old girl. After 12 months in prison, he was released and returned to West Virginia, where his drug use 
escalated. He concocted a mixture of amphetamines which could keep him awake for five days. To come down, Rusty would drink massive quantities of whiskey, vodka, and beer, which he took with Valium. On February 22nd, 1979, Rusty was drunk on Quaaludes, Valium, whiskey, and marijuana. With two other men, he he arrived in the town of Cottageville, South Carolina. The three men broke into a house and stole a coin collection. Rusty shot the owner, John Turner. The three men drove several miles to the northeast and picked at random another house to rob. There, Rusty shot and killed Arnie and Earl, Earl Dean Wright. They got back in the car, popped more pills, drank more whiskey, and went to Polly's Island. At a convenience store, they kidnapped two clerks, Della Louise Sellers and Wanda Summers. Taking the two men, two women to a remote area, two of the men raped them, and Rusty shot them. Della died. Wanda lived. The three men finished their night at a Myrtle Beach motel as the police closed in. Just after midnight, one of the men killed himself. Rusty and the other man were so drunk that they were easily taken into custody. The next day, Rusty confessed to the murders. When Bob McAllister learned the details of the killing spree, he was repulsed. He remembers thinking with relief, well, at least they caught the man, and I hope he gets what he deserves. Bob's own life at this time was very much in the fast lane of finances and business, and his life continued to be such for the next several years while Rusty was in prison awaiting his sentence. Bob was very successful. But he began admitting that he was paying a high price for all that he was doing. Bob was hardly ever home. His first marriage ended in divorce. And he was now into his second marriage. All the symptoms of a life that was too fast were apparent. Finally, his wife said, When you come home tonight, come home without a job. You're killing yourself. I'd rather have an unemployed husband than one who died on the job. Bob knew she was right. His schedule was killing himself and his marriage, so he quit his job and started a small public relations firm. It was not long afterwards that Christ touched his heart and mind on a busy thoroughfare in Columbia, South Carolina. It was a sweltering day in 1984 when Bob almost ran over an old black man who was pushing himself in a wheelchair. Bob got out of the car and asked what he was doing on the side of a busy street doing that, pushing himself in a wheelchair. The old man told Bob that two of his friends were sick and had no food. He was wheeling himself to a rescue mission to get hot food for the two bedridden women. 
Bob asked where the women lived and where the rescue mission was. And when Bob was told, he calculated that it was a seven-mile round trip, all in a wheelchair. So Bob said to the old man, I'll take you to the mission. Bob drove the old man to the mission, got the food, and took the plate back to the two sick women. When he saw the women who could not get out of bed, and when Bob looked into the eyes of the old man who was risking his life in a wheelchair to get food for his friends, Bob experienced a profound conversion. The next year proved to be a spiritual turning point. Bob began reading the Bible several hours a day. As he did, his gratitude for what Christ had done for him deepened. So Bob did what Jesus told his followers to do. He began visiting the prisons, and there he met Rusty Woolmer. By the time Bob met Rusty, he had become accustomed to terrible sights. But what he found when he met Rusty was unlike anything he had ever seen before. Rusty was sitting on the floor in his cell in a trance. His face was the color of chalk, and all over him crawled dozens of cockroaches. His long blonde hair was a greasy mass. His beard was matted. He stank horribly. The cell was covered with half-eaten sandwiches. As Bob looked into Rusty's face, Bob saw how low and thorough the work of evil can be. Rusty, Bob said. There was no response. Rusty, no response. Rusty stared into space as a roach crawled over his beard. Rusty, said Bob. Say the name Jesus. Just, just, just say Jesus. For several minutes, nothing happened. Said again, just, just say the name Jesus. Very slowly, Rusty said, Jesus. He continued to stare at the wall of his filthy cell. After about five minutes, he repeated, Jesus. Several more minutes passed, and then Rusty prayed on his own, Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me. It was then that Rusty's heart cracked open and he wept. He wept from the deepest part of his soul as he said over and over and over, Jesus, forgive me. When Bob returned to Rusty's cell three days later, he couldn't believe his eyes. The cell was immaculate. The smell of disinfectant hung in the air. Rusty himself was scrubbed. His hair was clean. The roaches were gone. His bed was made. Rusty looked directly into Bob's eyes and said, I figured this what Jesus wanted me to do. That was October 1985. 
For the next five and a half years, Bob McAllister visited Rusty Woomer almost every day. Eventually, listen to this, eventually, Bob's ministry to Rusty became Rusty's ministry to Bob. They learned from each other the riches of Jesus Christ as together they read the scriptures and prayed. For five and a half years, they taught each other how to witness for Jesus, how to be doers of the word. Rusty ministered to the other inmates and to the wardens. He even ministered to people who visited the prison. Rusty's execution date was set Friday, April 27th, 1990, at 1 a.m. On Thursday, April 26th, Rusty's family came to see him. Rusty had long ago written his father that he had forgiven him, but now he could tell him face to face, and he did. He forgave him for all the abuse, and then he had his family hold hands. And pray. At 11 p.m., Rusty was taken to have his head shaved. Bob McAllister went with him. While the barber shaved clumps of blonde hair from Rusty's head, Bob read from the Revelation. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. With his head shaved, the wardens began telling him how much they loved him and respected him. Instantly, Rusty began ministering to them again of the power of Jesus to transform their lives. There was no farewell spoken between Rusty and Bob. They had agreed to that months before. Their last words to each other were only these. Look to Jesus. At one o'clock in the morning, April 27, 1990, Rusty saw Jesus. When Rusty Wilmer died in the electric chair, he was not the man whose quaaludes and whiskey-fueled binge had left four tortured and dead. I'm sorry, said Woomer, whose prison years included many acts of selfless service to others. I claim Jesus Christ as my Savior. My only wish is that everyone in the world could feel the love I have felt from him. Thanks be to God. 